Okay, cool. So we are live. Ashlyn, also your favor, just just move it over, just move a little, little bit so you move other way, other direction. Hundreds. Okay, cool. Good evening, good evening. Welcome everybody. Covenage Goldstone, yeah. I'm here with uh, Ashwin Desai. Ashwin Desai is the author of a new book called Wentzwood. Ashwin, we're just gonna chat about with the listeners. There's lots of people listening from all over the, the world. Lots of interest in Australia, the UK, because a lot of the community that grew up in Wentzwood have moved out. And uh, I think that's an interesting thing that people have ventured so far. And the book explores how maybe they weren't meant to venture that far. Because if you look at the way Wentwood was structured, there was it was against all odds from the very get-go. So maybe let's start at the beginning and how Wentwood was actually formed and how you explore that in the book. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's the it's the old story that you know of of Durban and the Group Areas Act, where tens of thousands were put on the move in the 60s, and uh, a place in the South Basin was carved out, um, and basically had nothing, uh, and people were shoved out from Cato Manor, from Riverside, um, from from the Trans Sky, and were were forced into this place called Wentworth. Um, it had no identity as such, uh, and one of the one of the ironies I went with is that uh, it was a place of great fluidity in a sense that you know trucks came in and trucks came out. You could see aeroplanes coming in, but it was it was it was formed to keep people like in a lager and and force people uh, into small and smaller places in the city of Durban, while the heights of Bluff and other areas were kept uh, for the white ruling class. Hmm. Can't hear you. Sorry, where people came from, uh, Ashwin, was also very fascinating because there was big migrating groups from the Eastern Cape, for example, yes. uh, the old Trans Sky. Uh, and they fed in and they were now mixing with people who came from Mayville, some from the city. That created many differences within the community, uh, a lot of maybe even points of conflict because these people with different ways of seeing the world, different ways of living, were now all living together. Exactly. And, and you know, they, people had their own prejudices, right? And, you know, people will say to me, how do you know somebody's from the trans sky? Well, they'll go to the shop, you know, with uh, with curlers and uh, 90s and bedroom slippers, you know. So there's this idea of the rural pumpkins on the trans sky and the more urbane local people who came from Mayville and Cato Manor. So, of course, there were those prejudices. But over time, of course, there was incredible forms of intermarriage and and, and clubs and so on that built in a sense of an idea and identity of when where people from went with. Now, Ashwin, I think for a lot of people who don't know the story of Wentworth, this book is, it's a it's also a historical piece, but it mostly uh, kind of weaves in and out of a football club, Leeds, which is a centerpiece of, of colored communities, football, and Leeds was the pinnacle. So if you, if you lived in Wentworth, well, if you lived in any Sydney, uh, Mayville, Newlands East, everyone knew Leeds as the club that, that to kind of aspire to. Uh, so you got to speak to some of the former players. Those those conversations with those players, what would you say was the general feeling? Was there a sense of, of achievement? Was there a sense of regret? How did how did they kind of retell their stories? It's uh, it's quite incredible how people open up and people have no sense of the history they made that. You know, there were no soccer fields. People carved something out of, of stone, basically, and sand. Um, 
there were people who had picked up games in the 60s, but also great men like Papa Stokes that I talk about in the book, Benny Whitby, who came to the launch tonight, who spent his own money, who in a way might have neglected his own family to build this team, like almost a professional outfit. Can you imagine out of nothing? He had this idea of having different outfits. They had this idea of having a squad of players. He had an idea uh, about the way in which people should play, the attractiveness in which they, people should play, that, that then, you know, to, to be known as somebody um, at the height of your football was to play then uh, for Leeds United. And people like, uh, men like Benny Whitby were, were revolutionaries in their own ways, uh, not only because of the way they thought about the game, but how they thought of building a sense of dignity, a sense of purpose, a sense about how you would behave outside the field. It is not a coincidence that people from Leeds, you know, married within the broader ambit of, of Leeds, for example. And so for me, and that is why I introduced the idea of group biography. People might not have got on with each other. They might even have not crossed paths so much. But there was something about that 60s, about a sense of we here, we've been dumped here, we've been left alone here, and we're going to build something special. And that is why out of Wentworth, per square kilometer, came some of the you know greatest footballers South Africa has ever seen in a different time and place. They would have great. They would have graced the fields uh, of of anywhere in the world. That's how skillful. That's how their training was. That was their commitment to to the ethos of football. Ashwin, I've known you since I was a teenager, and uh, you've written a lot of books. But did you feel any any what can I say expectancy from the audience you were writing for? Because you're someone who came from not necessarily outside the community. Uh, one of the first times I was introduced to to some of the struggles of colored people was through some of the rallies you took to me when you took me to when I was very young. You might not remember, but that was a was a an indication to me that when you wrote the book, you were not writing necessarily from a from an outside perspective because you're so involved. Did you feel any weight? like having not lived in Wentworth to make sure that you write the story in a way that gives dignity to the to the storytellers you know in many ways you know uh, of course you 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 some charo outsider you know coming in there and uh, wanting to write a history uh, but you know when i met doreen houghton when i met woman i met my mother my mother grew up in the center of town you know she was one of those catholics who went to church not on Saturday afternoon and Sunday, but every day, every morning. And, and in many ways, that, that kind of working class sort of strength I saw in many of the women. So, you know, I was talking to my, to, to, to my mother and my father if often when I spoke. I spoke to my boyhood heroes. What more do you want? Right? People, you went to Curry's Fountain, Dennis Peterson, Gary Goldstone. You watched them play. And now suddenly you sitting there, in a way with a bit of power, you're this professor from the university. But it, I must tell you, Carvin, we think we know people's stories. We think we know our histories. But this humbled me. And I think people were, were a bit more open with me because I was an outsider and a little bit of an insider. And they, they could express sometimes with greater honesty uh, when, when I asked them deeper questions about identity, about love about sexuality. I wasn't judging them. Uh, if, if a neighbor had interviewed them, they might have thought this becomes part of like a way of judging people. And I thought uh, in that sense, uh, 
I, I won't be the same person again, in a way, because I was, you're right, I did participate in many things in Wentworth, even a strike in Wentworth in 2001. But I didn't know the history. I didn't know the power. I didn't know about people working on the railways and out of nothing, on menial jobs, building incredible soccer teams, um, nurturing the greatest of players, um, having a sense of family that was bigger than a narrow family. And it genuinely was, it's not just romance, about sharing with your neighbor, not judging your neighbor. Uh, and, and so sometimes when you live your history, uh, you sometimes can't have a sense of how incredible it is. Uh, Greg Houston, who, who you know, was a, was a great social scientist who grew up in Wentworth. During his holidays, he read the book. He said, Ashwin, I cried because I didn't think about it in that way because I'm so close to it. I just saw broken lives, but I didn't so, I see the connection sometimes, the stitching, the networks, that how people dealt with deep wounds, but they dealt with it uh, over time. And remember, the impact, the Cecil generation, forced to go and work somewhere else, to use those skills, only come home a couple of times a year. Uh, families get shattered, but, but they, there was something about then also building of a community uh, through that attempts uh, of a life imposed upon them, but refusing to bow down. People, it's just, just story after story in the book will tell you that. These are not made up stories. These are real living human beings who are still around and will not even be a footnote in history. And if nothing else, their families will now and their friends and their sons and daughters will read their stories. And that is what history is about in the end. It's not the big men of history, but just the little, the little people who make it. Some of the, some of the characters, we see a, a, let's say, for example, Gary Goldstone, where he's... Uh, is quite important on the soccer field, quite revered. But he also has this other life where the gang culture is uh, very much a part of who he is, how people perceive him. And he's navigating these two spaces, uh, which is kind of the story of Wentworth in many ways, ups and downs, navigating successes and tragedies. Did you find that telling those particular stories about the dark sides, uh, in his case, talking about his mental illness, how difficult was it to get people to open up about those sort of things? And how important was it for, for them to open up? I think people, uh, people trust, trust you. And they, 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 they do open up to you in ways they might not normally open up to you. And for me, the Gary Goldstone story, above the story about the mental home, the great soccer player, the incredible competitiveness, uh, the sheer commitment to to fitness, the ability to be an all-rounder. This guy, he probably could have been a great cricketer because he went to play in, as a goalkeeper for a while and, and he played at a provincial level. But for me, there's a moment you'll see in the book. He had beaten a guy to pulp in Mir Bank in a shopping, somewhere where you're shopping. And the next week he was there and he asked the woman in the shop, what, what, what is that song you were playing there? I want to hear it again. And this woman was scared of him. And, you know, I, I'm a great believer that you don't read the scriptures in some, uh, in, in, in some way as if it's history or it's out there. You read the scriptures to learn. It's a philosophy. And if, if anything describes a Damascus turn, 
If anything describes a change from Saul to Paul, is that moment when Gary, when Gary, when Gary thought, I want another life. I want another life. And that life involves building my family. That life involves leaving behind violence. That, that life involves an attention to another human being in a beautiful way. And, and, and so he fell off his horse. He was blinded by the lightning for a while, but he rode in a different direction. And that story can be told so many times. Like when, when Patrick Wiseman says, you know, I realize at the end when my son gets stabbed to death, th there's just him in capital letters and me. And it was, it was him and a community in the end. You know, it was something bigger than just him. And, and that's how you get over things. That's how you, you deal with this tragedy of a son being stabbed to death. And, and so there's nothing cardboard cut out in the stories. There's nothing of like everything is redemption, that there's some grand big nest egg at the end. No, people are still, Patrick Wiseman is still there in that house. He wants to coach young people. He's still working as a carpenter. Um, and so that for me, Lorna Peterson is still there, taking on young people, trying to still build young calves, hoping for promotion, coming through with new figures, trying to get Delron Buckley to come and coach, getting in the people who uh, played a role in the club in Leeds United uh, before. So there's a connection there between Leeds and young calves, not only because it's a Peterson family, but how they're trying to get old people, old stars, but also, in a way, creating, using that catering business to create a sense of, I can share this with young men often who would not be given shelter. And out of the shelter of set of soccer boots, out of the sense of soccer boots, a possibility to, to play the game at its highest level. Of course, we must dream. Of course, we must keep dreaming. You know, uh, what else? You know, people, and when people tell me, oh, they're going to give up, there's no hope. Then I said, do you think Benny Woodby and Papa Stokes gave up? What did they have as the tools? They didn't even have a history as the tools. And look what they've given you and us. And how dare you even think about some kind of pessimism? I found the stories about Papa Stokes and Benny Whitby particularly interesting because in both cases, they had vision. And I think uh, we, we don't realize that what we have today, we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us, giants, in Papa Stokes' case. And you spoke a bit about it at the launch, how he was more than just a football figure. He was a father figure. Exactly. There's something so powerful. There's something so stoic. There's something so grand. There's something so unconquerable about these people. Um, and so you're right. We stand on the shoulders of giants to see further that every generation has new tasks. They had a task of making something out of nothing, of building an identity, of building a soccer club for nothing. We need to see further by building on that. What, what do we do? How do we take all this history? How do we make a living museum? How do we build across uh, sectors who are divided? How do we get to people to understand what it is to breathe every day pollution out of probably the most popular polluted area in, in, in South Africa and Southern Africa? How do we think about people who with their lunch pack must take an asthma pump? How do we think about people who are dying as we speak of cancer? 
So when, when people talk about that, who pays those reparations? Who pays those compensations to those who are dying? Who, who takes up the issues of people who worked for so many years in, in the South Basin but are still temporary workers? So these are, that's the new generation's fight. And, and that's the new generation's struggle. And, and, and so out of the beauty of Papa Stokes and, and Benny Whitby's must, must emerge something uh, that we can see further with and bigger. And that's why this evening I talked about identity. We need to explode this idea of identity. We, we, we fought against apartheid because they imposed an identity upon us. They forced us into holes that saw each other as enemies and wanted us to compete with each other racially. This government is doing the same thing. It's committing the same mistake. It's unfolding the same tragedy where it forces us into narrower and narrow corners of, of who we are. Both of us, Calvin, are bigger than that. We want to be bigger than that. You want your children to be bigger than the kinds of narrowness that you would have been grown up in in Newlands East. You want them to have a vision of themselves uh, that's bigger than an identity that is called colored and they must be colored for the rest of their lives and for forever. There's something that you want them to explode. And already I saw that with your daughter. Right? She's her own person already. You know what I mean? She can take a book. She can't read, but she reads the book as if it's, there's a story there. We want them to write their own stories. Not our stories, not hide behind us, not repeat the things we did. That Kara must be a South African with full rights, no quotas, no boxes to full identity unless she desires so. And that's what, for me, is the fight of this 2020, that we need to explode. We need to break out. We need to spread our wings. I'm 61 years old. I just want to be something else. Uh, that is not a box that I need to tick at you, Jay. My God, you know, my father had to tick that box in you. My grandmother had to tick that box in you. My God, you know, when will I be some other thing and allowed to be it? And, uh, on the cover of the book is a beautiful picture by Cedric Nunn, and it's uh, boys playing with the oil refinery just behind them. Um, that image kind of really captures the story. But throughout the book, there's awesome images. And for those that are listening, getting hold of this book, it's available from Ike's Bookshop. Uh, you can also order it online. And it, it tells the story of uh, how Wentworth, the surroundings, the football, not just in stories, but through pictures, uh, Ashwin. And just some of those pictures that you collected, the process of collecting those pictures, do they come from people? How do you get hold of so many images of, of Wentworth? You know, it's cliche, but people are sitting with albums of weddings. They're sitting with photo albums of their families in the trans sky, sitting with certificates that say, my great-great-grandmother came from St. Helena. These are, these are artifacts. These are living things. Uh, and people were giving that. I'm going to make a book just for photographs. I want to make a living museum together with people of that whole South Basin because it'll show that people... The, the, the photographs are, are not inanimate objects. Uh, they tell you big stories when you look at them. When you see people sliding down, uh, uh, kids playing, that's all they had. Storm water drains to play in. That's what it tells you, you know. Uh, 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 and so, you know, so, so that is why, you know, we want to, I want to use those photographs to tell that story because sometimes when you write it, you don't come 
come uh, out of the clearly. I mean, Mario, for example, is saying, yeah, and I understand that. We have, we, have, we have been along the same road and let's face reality, colored people have no say. I grew up there. Well, people do have a say, Mario. They can. And yes, you grew up there. But that is what would, many would be and Papa Stokes said to themselves. And now Lorna Peterson is saying today and Doreen Houghton just by building a garden. It's a small things. There, there is still a community. We can't throw in the towel. They want us to throw in the towel. They want us to say, there's no hope. There's lots of hope. Uh, I don't have an answer. But everywhere communities are starting to think, we've been abandoned by this government. We've been abandoned by business. And if we've been abandoned, then we're going to use our own hands. We're going to help each other through our own hands. There's something, there's something powerful going on in our country at the moment, knowing that we've been betrayed. But using words like betrayal, it doesn't get us, it gets us only so far that, 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 that we've got to think from the street level again. For those of you who are just tuning in, I'm talking to Ashwin Desai, he's the author of Wentworth. Uh, what a beautiful book. For those of you who are going to try to get hold of it, Ike's book's a good place to pick it up. And it really explores the, the story of Wentworth, but it, it navigates the story of Leeds, uh, uh, the Green Mambas as they were known. Uh, what a great football club. Uh, for colored people that lived in Wentworth or people that lived in the Wentworth area, they were the ultimate, right? Everyone wanted to, wanted to play for Leeds if you were a good football player. And Leeds came knocking. It was hard to say no. Yes. You know, uh, you know, at times, though, you know, the bigger clubs like Manning Rangers and Berea would grab players. People would go and play for Amazulu, African Wanderers. But you're right. The stepping stone, uh, it was a rite of passage, right? And, 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 um, and, and, and that is why you can tell sometimes, you, you know, you can't tell a story of a whole community. You can't tell every nuance. You can't tell every nook and cranny. But you can take a small part of history and tell a bigger story that comes out of it. I started with an idea of just telling a story of Leeds United. Then I come across the story of the Lindeboerms, the, the Cherians, the smaller clubs that are still going, that are still doing things, having a sense that uh, generations get handed down in a place like Cherians. Uh, you know, the father, the grandfather, still producing players, still having sort of uh, a sense of community you, you'll see their photographs, food parcels, building out of a club, something with Wellington Met, the great man who's just, you know, been there 50 years, who's, you know, produced, you know, so many talented players and has a sense about how the game should be played, how to pick up talent, how to spot talent. Uh, so, uh, yes, these leads, but, you know, it sobered me that there were so many sort of roots that lie in different areas. Uh, and and still keep going in many ways. The formation of uh, the making of a place, uh, the beautiful game, the making of a place, the making of Wentworth is a story of so many different communities kind of or people feeding into one area. And as I read it, I started picturing what it would have looked like when they just arrived. We talk about dusty roads and the book describes people moving into flats where there's no one else. Uh, now it's hard to imagine, because if you go to Wentworth today, it's, it's crowded. And one of the issues, I suppose, is that whatever was built and how Wentworth was structured when it was first created, not much has happened there since. Uh, and, and so those families that entered in the book back then, a lot of those families are still there with their children and their children's children. And it's a, it's a, it's a huge challenge going forward, the, the way that the community, how it started, there's not been much investment. 
exactly you know and and that is why you know you you have big debates there's no there's no easy answers in communities so when a whole lot of money is 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 solicited through struggle through uh, lobbying and so on to upgrade the flats there is a division that emerges in a community because people are saying why not use the money to build more flats you know we are sitting here there are three generations of us in two bedrooms at the same time the flats that are there are falling down and so when people tell me oh we want to get involved in communities it's not as easy because there are no solutions you know right now carbon we're sitting with headlines that says engine wants to leave right and you're caught in a conundrum right you got 600 jobs maybe thousands of jobs that feed off that at the same time in a place where there's huge unemployment at the same time what has engine really done for the community um, you know what about the pollution what, what you know what about the cancer what are the people just get jobs on shutdowns so but that is what community is that is why it's better than a university because debates that take place unlike the the psychodramas of a university that are meaningless over a word debates in communities mean about lives about children mm. about grandmothers so debates all your theoretical learning comes to naught because you have to contest ideas and the book is about that is that we at that stage now if this is a book about the history it's also about the future wentworth yeah. sits on the edge of something possibly new that if engine does leave what do we do with that place do we who pays compensation for us what do we do do we turn it into a documentary do we take it into a reskilling center do we turn it into a green lung do we turn it into renewable energy you know so so who takes part in the debate how do we have this debate who moderates this debate who participates in this debate is all big questions so when people say community of course it's a loaded word but yeah the possibility of something new happening is is now there there's something mm. for once that we can reimagine the south basin and take those communities around there to participate in putting forward you know we want the uh, Alan Mulman and a few other people from Wentworth want to think about going to high schools and saying to children yeah write an essay put a model together about what you think should be should be there when engine leaves you know so something creative uh, imaginative could happen uh, and people from all over the world who have their roots in the south basin should participate in that reimagining because that's where your roots are that's where your blood lies you 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 recently were involved in some of those discussions um and you you and I had a conversation about some of those discussions and you you said to me that the de debates been quite good um how do we how do we move from debates to to action because you used the example of clearwood where uh, we were in a struggle and then we lost the struggle and what 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 can we do differently if 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 there is anything to do I think the you know we lost the Clearwood race course it, it was just a place where we could have more housing where we could have had more uh, environmentally conscious developments uh, but we lost it to bigger interests and the city betrayed us and the province and so firstly we got to have the power amongst us and the capacity to listen to people i think sometimes we want to impose a model as activists and we get dealing from communities so we got to have just a rumbling conversation first that might go nowhere it to say hey, man you know engine is going you know what are the alternatives how can we turn 600 jobs into 6000 jobs how can we have a place in which it becomes symbolic of what durban could be a green city a city that 
other people are envious, but it leads out of this madness uh, and catastrophe that we're facing around climate. You know, so conversations, uh, building bridges across where people weren't going to break bread with each other, reaching out to each other. Now, Ashwin, one of the, the other aspects of the book is that it explores culture quite a bit. Poets, uh, musicians, dancers, uh, taps, the dance group taps. And I was quite fascinated with the story, uh, you know, the, the characters, uh, how they kind of came forward. How important and how interesting was that process of bringing, you know, this, this, this entertainment aspect, which is a big part of the community and in Wentworth and across our communities. Uh, and it's also a different narrative. So we talk about, you know, the, the challenges, but there's this beautiful narrative of bands that were emerging out of Wentworth, poets and, and dancers. Carvin, how dare we? Although they came out of Sparks Estate, but the impact they had on my generation. I was at Curry's Mountain, the Flames. You know, how dare we not have written a book about them? How dare we have not interviewed them? How dare we have not collected that story? This band that went and exploded on a world stage with the Beach Boys and so on. You know, and, and, and so, you know, there's a neglect in our writing and our thinking about how powerful this aspect is uh, to bring back uh, a sense of dignity, a sense of power to people. And so when it was always that I was the first colored on TV, I brought, you know, like <laughs> dancing to TV and so on. But it is powerful. You know, a group of guys go to town, they put a cardboard, they dance around, they make some bucks and suddenly they're elevated into, into our lounges and so on. And so, of course, it's it's. And it's still there, you know, they, they, they still, you know, the stories about, you know, which I didn't write about because he had died, you know, 85 year old man who used to play, you know, the sex, uh, who ended up, you know, living in Tafta. Um, uh, and that's, uh, that's the power that we got to unleash in this battle, you know, but seeing further that, that standing on the shoulders of giants, that to liberate that incredible talent that lies there, uh, you know, I, I watched Britain Got Talent. And some of those dancers there, you just see them in, went with this, you know, rocking around as normal. And, and they say, this is great, you know, Britain Got Talent. And we have no appreciation of how the talent that lies there and, and what are we doing to create the kinds of infrastructure, the kinds of organizations that allow people, young people to catapult themselves into the national uh, uh, into the national stage. Uh, we don't, you know, yet Benny and them did it out of soccer. Why are we not doing it out of this music and poetry and dance? What were, if any, some of the aha moments that Ashwin experienced while doing his research for the book? Uh, Ashwin, <laughs> those moments that you made you go, wow. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's, you know, it's a phrase that uh, uh, a sociologist, Torini, calls, called intimate activism. Just somebody whose child is, is struggling in many ways, physically or mentally, and how the neighbor will care for that child if the woman goes to work. The idea of somebody just making a small garden, uh, somebody trying to keep a street neat and, and tidy and and the verges uh, just made me think about, yeah, we're so good at doing the manlas and the panzis and the marching and the toy toy. But how powerful is a, just a simple act of kindness? Uh, and, I, and the ah moment was that I was brought up, for example, in Leopold Street. 
and in Godfrey's building where generations lived. And my granny uh, uh, was a granny of the whole building, you know. Um, and those kindness are repeated in those buildings. But no, we want to talk about the K1, the tracks, the destroyers, the young destroyers as went to. This is rubbish, actually. Uh, there's something not being destroyed. There's something, every day somebody's building something in Wentworth. Every day they get up and they, they're keeping something together. And we don't, we, don't, we, we, we don't write about those people because it doesn't make headlines. But the next shooting in Heim Street will. One of the things that did come through quite strongly there, Ashwin, was the portrayal of strong female role models and figures uh, in the football club and in the community. Uh, how important was it that we, we told these stories? Because Leeds is, is, for the most part, a male uh, football club, and a lot of the characters are, are male players. But there's lots of women in the back, like not even necessarily in the background, in, in the foreground, kind of pulling things together. Uh, how important was it for you to tell those stories? Well, you know, they bulldoze their way into the story. You know, I, yeah. I didn't have it there. I didn't have it. But, you know, you just talk to Ursula, you know, Gary's wife. I mean, she's a figure in her own right. She's a character in her own right. She's a, she's, she's a performer in her own right. You know, so what choice did I have? I'm sitting in their lounge and Ursula is there, you know. And, and so, I, you know, I want to tell a story. And then I asked for the wedding photographs and they gave it to OK Bazaars. And, you know, it got, you know, there's no wedding photographs, right? And now I started to doubt whether there was a wedding in the first place, right? Uh, so they bulldozed their way into the story and rightly so. And, and these powerful women uh, who played soccer, who who could leave bad men and accept that their mothers wouldn't like it and that they might be ostracized for a while, but refuse to bow down to abuse, for example, and rebuild their lives with another man. Or, and so how, how, how can I, uh, as, as this, you know, how can I not just doff my hat to that? You know, they were my, you know, many of them, my mother was a strong woman. She had four arms carved and they could knock you down. And she did knock down a few people. And I saw them in those stories uh, as, 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 uh, and women of faith, women of spirit, uh, women, um, but they were, they revolutionized the way we think about family, the way we take in other children, children that are not our own, not our blood, but they take, they have this, uh, I, I don't know, there's something just giving and securing and they want to take, in those arms of theirs, they want to take, you know, a whole street under their wing. Uh, this is in a narrow sense. This is my 2.2 children, and that's where my responsibility stop. And and for me, uh, it's it, it's an ongoing process. It's happening now as we speak. In, in uh, Ronald Gabriel saying that sense of community and family, and that comes through in the sense of. You even found within the Leeds family, people were marrying each other or it became like a bigger family. And there was certain like behavior <laughs> that was, uh, what can I say, required of a Leeds family. They weren't, they, in the book, we kind of portrayed them as, I wouldn't say above, but like trying, striving to, to, to look better and to do better. That sort of uh, image was quite powerful, that the image of the family, which we sometimes ignore in the narratives of today. But in the book, we kind of see these images of family uh, and they, they're powerful, like, you know, for the future, for future, for young people growing up to see these images. It's, it, it was, uh, it's community and family intertwined. Uh, and as I was saying, you know, beyond that, you know, I was saying that, you know, we're all involved in the 70s and 80s in struggles, 
and comrades and, you know, the pureness of the resistance movement. But just think that uh, Dennis Peterson and Gary Goldstone, you know, 55, 58, 60 years later are still friends. Um, uh, Gary Goldstone still visits Patrick Wiseman. That's real comradeship. That's real friendship. They're family. I think you mentioned uh, Gregory while you were interviewing Gregory. I think it was, was it Elvis or someone walked in uh, to yeah. visit. So even those relationships across, they still exist. Well, look, you know, Gregory Baptiste is, you know, just this gentleman, you know, he still walks straight up, you know, just over six foot, strides into his house. I'm there. And, you know, behind him, you know, comes Elvis, uh, slightly more rotund and so on. But they, they, it was home for Elvis. They, 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 you know, look at that. You know, Gregory Baptiste and Elvis are probably like, you know, really two sides of, of different coins. But uh, something bonds people. And that's why I'm saying that for me, all those friends that I have in the 80s, uh, you know, you shared the trenches with. I'm hardly friends with them now. I, I, I have hardly anything in common. In fact, if I see them, I might cross over to the other side of the pavement. But look at Gary and Patrick. All right. So isn't that something greater? Isn't there something to wonder why these friendships have have persisted? Even if somebody stays in a completely different area, they visit once a month. They know when Eddie McKnight's wife wasn't well, everybody knew in that group. Can you believe that? You know, I mean, what what sensitivity is that? What care? What what power? We we and that's the power we need to unleash also into the public, right? We, we there's there's power there. There's something very special that didn't even exist in an anti-apartheid woman. You know, doesn't exist today in South Africa. You know, amongst the so-called comrades, but but it still exists. Uh, Ashwin, talking about about friendships, this book also comes in some ways from friendships that you've had and promises that you made. So maybe you just want to tell us why, why <laughs> went with, why this book? Well, you know, I, I, I go to a pub, well, you know, before the lockdown many years ago, 2015, I think, and we, we always talk soccer. And uh, a couple of guys were there, uh, Gerald Abrams, Mike James, Stevie Sanders, all went, they say, you're right about everything else, bro. But, like, why don't you write the story? And, you know, barroom promises are more important than boardroom promises because, you know, you, otherwise you'll get a bottle over your head, right? So the next time we met a year later, uh, I actually had come from Clarice Crematorium. It was my mother's ashes there, and we were having a drink together. And I said, you know, I looked out for my mother. She was bedridden. Now I'm going to write this book. And so... Mm -hmm. Its genesis is in a pub. Uh, its genesis is in old soccer players out of Wentworth. And in a way, this is my gift to my friends who bought me so many drinks that I never had to ever pay for. And, you know, I hope that this gift makes up for, you know, cases of Jamisons that have drank of their tabs. We're going to comment here, Cape Creole. She's a Baptiste, the original cheese boy. He's someone we spoke <laughs> about at the launch um, and somebody that obviously uh, captivated a lot of the, the members that were even here, like the way he played and who he was and the tragedy of his life um, as it's told in the book. Yeah, 24, dies of cancer, known as Luop and Fall. 
And in the book, Lloyd Keshwar describes him just brilliantly. There's a game, they were losing to Rangers, and there's Cheezer turned the game on its head. Uh, when I listen to people talk about him, the impact he still has, yet he was just 24. So you can just imagine with that left foot, you know, people just said he could have been, you know, messy. And they don't mean it like in a cynical way or building up somebody. Uh, uh, Chiza ranks in that period of the 70s as probably the, the most iconic player coming out of Wentworth. One of the players that I found quite interesting there, Ashwin, uh, when we, and I want you just to talk a bit about him because the, the, the book explores the story of, of Benny, <laughs> Benny Whitby. Um, and one of the things that stood out was that the, whatever feeling, ill feeling he had about the way the club, like how he exited and how the club exited his life, he carried, it seems to have carried through right through his whole life. Yo, bro, he is a hard man. And the fact that he even pitched up today is remarkable because for him, the, the Leeds United was about amateurism. Leeds United was about community. Leeds United was about family. And for him, when Leeds uh, became more commercialized and they wanted to attend, you know, go into the biggest leagues in the, in the country and money was flowing and they were signing players, for him, that was the, 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 the antithesis of what soccer should be and what Leeds should be. And even when they had gatherings, he just refused to come. And uh, I never thought he, he would speak and open up. But uh, today he actually came with Lloyd Keshwa. And they seem to be a, a bond that reemerges, right? And can imagine now that power. And so books, books can divide people. And books can heal people. And books can maybe, maybe make people see things in a different way. That people weren't being bad. They just wanted to take the super talented leads and put it on a national stage. They might have changed some of the ethos, but they, 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 their, their hearts were about taking Wentworth into, into bigger and bigger forms. And, and it, it broke or leads in the end, but I don't think that was the intention. And I think I tried to put that side in the book so that many will deal with it and, and see that maybe they had a different way of looking at the future. I think part of him being here tonight, and I, I, I greeted him on the way out of the, of the book launch, and he, he's quite smiley and happy. It's almost as if uh, being a part of this story and being a part of this evening uh, seemed to, you know, just put him at ease a bit, like about what everything that took place. And I think that's the beauty of it, because as I read it, I, I just wondered, like, is this guy still upset? <laughs> Because they talk about the, yeah. the the ballroom dinner and and his jersey being left, there. everyone pictures up, and then they have the the moments where they go to the the John Dunn home and they buy KFC for everyone, and uh, he pitches up at that point. You know, because it's a different sort of thing. Just before we go, we're nearly out of time here, Ashwin. Uh, for people who are listening and want to get hold of the book, um, do you have any book tours that you're thinking about considering? Any other works that you're working on at the moment that might be interesting? Uh, Ike's bookshop is where. We are having the launch that's available here, yeah? but if there's any other destinations. Yeah. Well, firstly, I want to obviously do a launch in Wentworth. And, you know, given COVID restrictions, uh, you know, I have to think about it. And I'm working with the community to do something beautiful, not just a book launch, but to, to just profile just the super talent of the community and to acknowledge the greats of the game. 
So that's definitely on the cards. The book I'm working on uh, with a guy called Ashwal Adrian is a, is a book entitled uh, The Rugby Playing Sons of Makanda and Stearman. And it's a history of black rugby in Gramstown. And the reason that it's Makanda and Stearman is firstly, Makanda was a great leader, was imprisoned on Robben Island, and Gramstown is no name now, Makanda. But Stearman was imprisoned three times on Robben Island. He escapes. And finally, he's put in manacles and taken to Australia. And he dies in Australia. And nobody yeah. knows the history of Stearman. And I, in my book, I interview the, you know, the great, great grandson of, of Stearman, who was one of the greatest rugby players produced, Dennis Stearman, in the Eastern Cape. Wow. I collected 300 photographs. And so I'm trying to write a history of black rugby uh, in, the, in the Eastern Cape, because that's where Alistair Kutsi came from, and become Springbok uh, yeah. coach, as you remember. Coach. Um, yeah. They produce players. And now everybody's talking about the Eastern Cape producing uh, the players, Lucanio M and Sio Kulisi. But actually, the histories are deeper. They go back to the yeah. 1880s. And if we're going to really rewrite our history, not just saying, oh, these whites are writing the history, we need to go out and write this history and cover it. And uh, it, I started in 2006, and now the book is nearly there. Thank you so much, Ashwin. We're out of time. It's been awesome. Thank I know you. Uh, people who want to get hold of the book, you can even in, you can inbox me and I'll tell you where to go. You can get hold of Ashwin. Uh, but we're going to do this again, uh, Ashwin and I. Thanks. So for oh, those thanks, of you who thanks, missed Carmen. it, we're going to have this conversation. Take care, guys. Thank you, brother.